Hey everyone, this is SaaSOps Leaders with David Politis. This week I spoke with Ben Silber. Ben is the VP of Information Technology and Security at 605. We covered a lot of ground in our conversation. We talked about the skills and mindset needed for IT leaders to successfully align with their peers across their organizations. And Ben shared how he has identified areas across the organization business that are ripe for automation. And I have to say, Ben shared a bunch of great analogies throughout the discussion that I plan to use in my conversations with IT leaders going forward. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Ben, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, David. Really excited to be here. Awesome. Let's get started. Can you just quickly introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, Ben Silber, Vice President of Information Technology and Security at 605. Uh, 605 is an independent TV measurement analytics firm that oversees uh, advertising and content measurement, full funnel attribution, media planning, optimization, and a number of other analytical solutions on top of our deterministic TV viewership data set that covers more than 22 million households across 200 US markets. I started with the company just over three and a half years ago as their first full-time IT hire. I was a senior IT manager at the time, inheriting a team of zero, a couple of MSPs, and we changed some things. We, you know, we right-sized it. Prior to that, I was a IT manager at an e-commerce startup called Chloe and Isabel. And before that was my actual first real IT job at AKQA, which is a digital ad agency, which is now owned by WPP. And I was a started as a help desk analyst, went to senior analyst, sysadmin, and kind of grew up and out from there. I actually started getting really hands-on into IT for my first full-time IT position at a offset print house, printing presses. And they were making the transition from, I guess you say, analog to digital, part of like digital transformation in a really boiled down sense where they started doing direct to plate, which is using the computer and a laser jet printer, a special type of medium to actually print the images onto the, the printer's plate, which is way more appealable. The old way of doing things was camera and negative. So it was really interesting to see that. And this was a small mom and pop business, about at most 15 people. We didn't have file services. We didn't have, everybody was working in their own workstation. Like, can we do this? Can we do our own mail server? And it was sort of like, yeah, if you can, you know, it'd be great if we actually had a branded domain, you know, like sort of things like that. And that really was sort of the the catalyst for me to start digging into it. I was very excited when I actually applied for the job at AKQA. I was joining a team of one. There was a senior systems administrator, and then I was, you know, his helper, if you will. But he was he was a great manager because he opened a lot of doors for me to to learn and be exposed. Like I think within the first three months, and I said I was a Mac guy. They got me the managing Windows Seven for dummies or deploying Windows Seven for dummies. So I was a little like a little bit of like ego hurt there, but it was an opportunity to learn. Like this was my first exposure to having Active Directory and on-premise exchange and file servers. So like, you know, IT room, five racks. So like sort of like a, what a systems administrator dreams about. This was back in 2011, 2012. So it was cool, like LTO tape drive. So a lot of, I don't want to say legacy tech there. I said it more of like the on-prem, like Cisco ASAs and Catalyst routers, like stuff that I would never even knew existed. And that really sort of whet my appetite for what we could do. You know, when you talk about that experience, I feel like the experience you talked about at AKQA, like that feels like that 
really being hands-on. You said it yourself, like having that manager and, and being able to learn from them and then really just getting thrown into it with stuff you didn't really know in terms of technology stack. That seems like that was probably the most critical moment in your career. I mean, meaning getting that experience and getting that confidence that you can you can learn these new technologies. You were a Mac person, but you were being thrown into Windows. How do you see that moment? You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense, the question. Just when you're talking about it, it feels like that moment was probably this like really critical moment in the confidence that you had in your feeling of your own ability to learn, you know? Absolutely. I, I'm a big Marvel guy, but I don't want to put myself up in, into the same sense as sort of like a Tony Stark Iron Man, but when he's <laughs> in the cave and he builds the suit for the first time, that's like the defining moment for him. And for me, it's putting, I essentially put myself out there. I took, it was a lateral move. I needed to break away from what I was currently doing and figure out something for the future. And bonus points, because I had a little bit of background in IT, I'm like, this seems worth the shot. Everybody was great during the interview process. I was extremely excited to have a, a true, not corporate, but real professional job that wasn't like mom and pop. And that absolutely defining moment. And then the rest of it is just iterative. It goes from learning the tech skills, right, for the first two, three years and building that, that book of business, if you will. And it's like, well, your next challenge is managing a team. You've never done that before. How, how do you plan on doing that? Building a program from scratch. Now to where I am, as, as where I started at 605 as a, a senior manager, then later director, it's different types of conversations, but taking the experience that you've accumulated with you and that knowledge, and then iterating on it just a little bit more, giving it a little bit more definition. Like this is what I've done in the past, not necessarily with tool A or tool B, but this is the program that I've instituted. This is how I flesh it out. And this is how I think we could scale it, right? So yeah, you have to be a little self-confident. And I don't view myself as somebody with a large ego or has immense self-confidence, but it's like, trust yourself, trust your gut. If you're right 90% of the time with your gut and doing analysis paralysis for months is going to get you to, I don't know, 95. And I think I actually heard somebody say this on, on the show before. It's like, what's the 5% worth? Like 90% confidence is already extremely high. Like chances are, if you have proven success with trusting your gut and doing your research and asking the right questions, like that's a good operating model. Like no, we're all human beings at the end of the day. I espouse that when I talk to my team and like dealing with end users and dealing with different personalities, we're all human beings you need to be empathetic, but really understanding like the feedback loop. It's like what you're putting out there, what you're building, and also understanding you build something. It's like, this is V1. We can make it better. What, what's the feedback so far? What are the pain points, right? Always being in a state of, dare I say, continuous improvement, continuous delivery, right? That's the same sort of model that we should be operating with, but not being like, this is done. This is golden. It's finished. No one should ever touch it ever again. It's like, no, you should continue to understand that situations change and the universe is not immutable. So how do we do that? How do we, and not also go down the rabbit hole of looking at something till your eyes bleed, but it's a lot of keeping up with it. So you, you mentioned before kind of the A to Z, but you have to build your way there to A to B, B to C. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I've heard that now example from a number of people that have been the most successful in their leadership role in IT of not saying, I'm going to get you from A to Z tomorrow. It's actually setting the right expectation saying, that's where I'm going to go, but I'm going to, it's going to take me time. How do you actually do that though? I mean, I'm talking tactically now about with your team, more importantly, probably is with the company. Like, how do you 
put that together and share that. And be, because patience you know, can be a challenge and in a company, a fast growing company, and when there's budget on the line and this, just can you walk me through that or, or take me through an example of how do you give that view of A to Z, but then walk them back and kind of build up to that? Does, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, my script sort of is for the first 30, 60 days, sometimes 90, depending on how, how quickly you have those conversations is I'm not making any changes. I am not a fly on the wall, but I am watching and learning everything. And it is my job to ask more questions than answers I get in return and start to build out. Okay, what are the gaps? What do you have in place right now? What's working well? What's not working well? And what does the business from the executive team, how do you want to stack rank priorities? Like obviously security is on the tip of the tongue for everybody everywhere these days, right? But what type of security? Like what's your footprint? What do you operate? Do you have data centers? Are you all completely in the cloud? What's your endpoint quantity? What type? All of these sorts of questions you need to start getting documented and getting the answers to. And then that gives you sort of your navigational chart. And I'm fortunate at 605 where I have a great relationship with my line manager, the EVP CTO, but also other members of the executive team directly, my peers at the VP or director level in their business units. It took a while to get there. Not that there were any challenges, but like new face and new name and sort of like what, and also don't bite off more than you can chew. One of the things you said is choose the low hanging fruit, you know, and, and to me, um, I like that. I, I feel like if you talk again to the, to the most successful IT leaders, what they're going to tell you is it's build that credibility. And then when you get into how do you build credibility when you're new on the role, it's listen, like you talked about, but then identify that low hanging fruit, because if you can under promise and over deliver and get these quick wins, that's when people are like, whoa, this is okay. I, I trust this person. I trust this team. I, you know, it's a, it's a view of IT that maybe historically hasn't, hasn't necessarily been there. I, I like that a lot. How do you go about finding that low-hanging fruit? Is that through the interviews that you're doing with everyone? Is that through ticket data? I don't know. I'm just like, how are you finding, or, or how did you find the low-hanging fruit um, to go and attack first? Honestly, um, conversations. It wasn't based on tickets, even though tickets did provide uh, corroborating or supporting data to get to a lot of automation, which I'll we could touch on in a second. But having the, having the human human conversation, like what's, if you can give me on a scale of one to five, one to 10, like how would you rate IT service right now? Explain it to me like I'm five. And they say, oh, well, you know, these are good. These things take, these particular things take a while. These are not intuitive, you know, and then you need to figure out, is it, they don't, is there no program or process for this specific thing you're talking about? Is it part of a systemic issue where there's no, you know, problem management or idle framework deployed here? Is it people just don't know where to go get help? Is it in a Slack channel? Is it an email address? Is it a phone number, right? Like how do we collapse, collapse down in the middle the N degrees of complexity that regardless of somebody, you know, Slack bots or email or opens a ticket straight from the ticketing system or phones in, it's like they all go to the same place. There's one team handling it, right? So it's like collapsing down, getting rid of the complexity Everything you just said there and before as well, like you're talking so much, and I love it. <laughs> it's like I've been preaching it for, for a decade, is about IT talking and being in front of the other people in the company. You talked about it before with your peers, with the VPs, with the directors, you know, up, down, across. When I hear you talking about this, the way I imagine it and the way that some of the other companies I've talked to in the past and seen physically is they put IT front and center. They basically created mini genius bars in their offices and they made it so that people could come up to IT anytime they needed help. And 
But now in this distributed way of working, how do you maintain those relationships kind of in all directions, you know, but, but is there, do you have a formulaic way of doing that? Do you have, again, I, I these are things I've heard office hours or you, you have all these channels. Is it everything goes into Slack now or anywhere? Are there more channels versus less than before? How, how do you maintain that? Because I feel like that is the critical piece of like the, the future of IT is the, the now of IT and the future is this customer first, customer service, supporting actor and actress, industrial lubricant to the whole thing. Like you're, you're spot on all those things. How do you do that in a fully distributed environment, especially when you created the relationships, assumingly in person? I would say it's communication and there's different depths and dimensions to how I think you should do that. And I've been a part of a team that had a a genius bar and we were we were all concerned inside oh my god everybody's gonna give us the walk-ups and we're just gonna get bombarded but it's kind of nice you sit down you have a conversation and it's like what's going on how was your weekend we have a sonos in the background you know on a spotify playlist like all of a sudden you set like a different mood it's not just like the help desk nobody likes going to the help desk help desk is like break fix you know it's communicating it's communicating effectively it's Hey, so, you know, if we're getting an inbound ticket or Slack or, or, or just something and you see somebody struggling with something in a Slack channel, for example, it's like, hey, we'll put a comment. Hey, so-and-so, like, just reaching out. Is there anything you need from us? Can we take it to a DM? You know, is there any, you know, being a true human being behind it, being empathetic. And some sometimes you're going to be met with, oh, thank you so much for just being a helpful resource and helping me. And there, there sometimes there are people suffering in silence. On the other side of it, you can catch somebody at a bad day. It's like, I just need a print or I need to send an email. Like that is, it's part and parcel of what we do in IT. And don't take, if, if you ever run into that, if anybody's out there listening that has ever had a bad day or sort of gotten, I don't want to say yelled at, but dealt with somebody not in a great mood, we're all human beings, right? There's the concept of the word sonder, which is as crazy as how multidimensional and complex my life is. It's the realization that the passerby in the street is having this has the exact same depth, but just different. It's like having your eyes open to that. It's like everybody's everybody's entitled to be short. I would say we hopefully that everybody's nice, but there's going to be, you know, an odd duck here and there, but dealing with it and having the conversations and like, it's also following up. It's like, Hey, we helped you a couple of days ago. Just want to check in, make sure everything's resolved, still working as intended. It's, I can't stress enough to the people that are in IT not to hide behind a locked office door, not to hide behind an email address, make yourself accessible. And I'm saying this as somebody who was on the front lines and in the trenches and to somebody who's not officially back office now, but I have a little bit of insulation, but my door is always open. Like I'm never going to not answer somebody if we do a Zoom. Uh, we typically, so to, you asked quite a pointed question about office hours. We tried it, it never really took off, but with Slack, you you have that in-demand hop in, hop out, especially with like the huddle feature now. It's like so quick just to connect with somebody and you can click slash Z or, or type in slash Z automatically, Zoom bot. Yep, throw up a Zoom, click the link, you're in, right? So it's like having that frictionless ability to go get help. And I think people are receptive to that openness and that, you know, sort of like with the Apple model, the Apple genius parts, you walk in with the question, sometimes you may need to make an appointment, but hey, like, we're not going to ding you. It's like, yes, we would appreciate it if you open a ticket because it feeds all these other things as far as metrics and KPIs and understanding where our pain points are, right? But 
Yeah, they didn't open a ticket. Hey, can you do me a favor? Um, when you get a chance to get back to your desk, can you just open a ticket just so that we just so we can log it, just so we track it. Having that is it it pays so much dividends. Listen, you get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Like that's the approach. Now occasionally, yeah, people aren't gonna open a ticket. So open it on their behalf, if you remember, right? Like it's also not boil the ocean on it. You were saying, and I like that, to find low-hanging fruit and to have the conversations. And also when you said that about don't don't insulate yourself, you know, I actually saw the other day, um, we were in the office and we don't, we don't have very many people in the office every day, but we were in the office and there was a new hire who was in the office and our CIO was walking by and he actually said, oh, nice to meet you and started talking. When did you join? A couple of weeks ago. And he just started asking like a dozen questions to the new hire about the onboarding process and just to your to your point about not not hiding or not wanting to be insulated he was he was actually begging for feedback you know about tell me everything that went wrong tell me everything that went right tell me you know and it was it, i was i just happened to hear it and i was like oh wow that that I think that is what you're talking about. That's the epitome of not having the, the looking for it, actually seeking out and finding low hanging fruit by just going around and asking people what's going well, what's not good. People are going to tell, if you ask, they'll tell you. If you don't ask, everyone's busy. Everyone's got a lot of stuff going on. They, they probably are not going to think like, oh, our VP of IT and security really wants to hear from me, the new employee who just joined about my ideas for onboarding, offboarding, you know, or for, you know, whatever. So when you say that, that resonates with me a lot. And I saw it in motion the other day. And I, I thought that was really interesting. You mentioned before automation and a lot, and some of the things you've talked about, obviously revolve around, you need automation in order to do some of these things. T- talk to me a little bit about that. And maybe even, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it today, but even in your career, how that's evolved. Because Because obviously the stack you've been working on, has evolved, especially from the printing press. <laughs> I feel like the printing press, we're talking about like hundreds of years, you know, from the printing press days to, to where you are today, the stack has evolved, the, the, the tools have evolved. Thinking, I think, around these types of, around automation has evolved. What, what's, your, what's your view on that? How have you approached that? And if there are any good examples, specific examples, that would be awesome. Yeah, I think it's funny you, you mentioned the printing press because you think about it, it's, it's make once, and deploy many, right? Yeah. So kind of, we're putting it full circle in the beginning. But um, with automation, you know, it starts, it's something that's, can you do something once and copy or have it run multiple times? And there's sort of, I believe there's an XKCD, like a, a matrix that says time to, to automate and time you'd spend doing it manually. And there's sort of, there's, they identify the sweet spot of when there's like a make or buy decision, like whether you should or shouldn't do it. Um, it started off with, you know, it's funny, I'm talking to yeah, you at Better Cloud, onboarding and offboarding, right? It's like, well, I got to log into these five systems and create a username and do it manually. And then I, I was fortunate, here. I had a, a senior admin who sort of took me under their wing and like built the a rudimentary onboarding and offboarding portal, which had a bunch of power scroll scripts in the back end that would pull a valid phone number and you know deprovision them when they need to be deprovisioned, purge the account when it needs to be revisioned. So it's probably maybe they I don't maybe they work for you now, but I, uh, I'm kidding, they don't. That was the first. It's sort of like okay, I can do this task. I need to I don't know do something in the Windows registry or I need to you know run a Bash script. It's like well instead of doing it once and updating it each time on an endpoint, right? Can I put environment variables? Can I change it up a little bit and sort of make it a little more modular? Think of it in terms of like Legos, right? That's when it starts to really start to click. I think now when you're 
in a management position in IT, you stop looking at the low-level technical tasks and look at the overall processing. What do I mean by that? So when I first started at 605, you know, we were doing, we have a vulnerability management program. We measure, we quantify, we remediate, you know, based on endpoints, cloud environments, the type, you know, where they are, what type of zone, you know, dev versus production. And then there's SLA attached to it. And uh, my predecessor, who was leading InfoSec at the time, there's a report card that comes out each month. Like how many things drifted out of SLA and that's visibility. But I'm looking at the endpoints. It's like each week there's 1,600 and 1,600 vulnerabilities. I'm like, how do you guys do it? Do you just throw bodies at it? Like there has to be a better way. And we we're not a Mac only. We're um, I would say it's 65, 35, or 70, 30 Mac heavy to PC with a little bit of Linux. It's like Champ has patch management, right? And Champ is I would say it's a best of breed SaaS tool for managing Mac endpoints, but that only solves one side of the equation. What am I going to do on the Windows side? What am I going to do on the Linux side or the web server side? I'm like went out, looked for a product. It's a couple of Google searches. I think maybe I found it on page two or page three. And I'm like, hey, this is super cheap. This is customizable, extensible. Like I can create end policies and granular, like patch this, but don't patch that or patch it based on like CVE score. Like all of a sudden it's like the eyes start to light up again, just like back when you were learning this stuff for the first time. It's like, we're in the Ron Paul Peel, the set it and forget it mode. And like, we started, we deployed the agents very slowly. I was the first guinea pig. I'm like, if I, I'm going to jump into the pool, like see how it works, see how it breaks, see what it, what it changes for the end users. And ultimately we got to almost a zero touch uh, process where patch Fridays is a thing at 605. And these are the hours based on local time zone when you can expect to get a pop notification if something needs to just install and quit or install, quit, and hey, you need to reboot your machine. And we customize the notifications for that. So obviously initially we get, you know, people say, hey, hey this is gonna disrupt my workflow. Well, guess what? You could defer it up to three times. Like, okay, I've given you, I don't wanna say the illusion of choice, but I've given you a choice. Like you don't wanna do this now, you do it later, but as long as it gets done, like we're cool with it. And, you know, we go through the proper QA cycles where it's like, hey, this is a mission critical patch or it's a mission critical system. Like, let's make sure it doesn't blow anything up. It's like taking that, spreadsheet that report that we get once a week with 1800 vulnerabilities and collapse down and like i'd say steady state is anywhere between 300 to 450 depending on the week and what comes out from you know the different ratings agency and what software patches become available from the microsoft the apple the zooms the slacks etc but it's sort of looking at it's like well 90 percent of this is automated see what comes what sifts out on the report next week because i have high level high degree of confidence that this is a solved issue. Like, yeah, occasionally you get your manuals and like things that people need to dive in, set up a remote session, get it done, remediate it, make sure it's, you know, it's validated. But like, that's like one of the biggest sort of automation, I guess you call it like a case study that I've done in my current position. And it's like, it costs us nothing. Like it, it, and for what we spend with our vendors, it's really pennies, but it's quality of life. It's like built it. It's, it is scalable, repeatable and reliable. And I've used that to define sort of like the governing principles of how, how we do, how we build IT process, IT programs, right? It's the set it and forget it. And it's that, what, 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 what's the byproduct of that? Like, wait, people are not busy trying to book you for a meeting or open a ticket on your behalf, right? That gives people back time to go to a Zoom, a Teams, a WebEx. That gives people on my team time, spare cycles 
to get involved in other projects, do some research, you know, seek a certification, right? So it's like, yeah, it's one of those things where it, we, it was a make or buy. We went the buy route and but we got in return. It was such a big um, return on investment and just value add that like, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. It just works. And we're more secure because of it. Right. And your point of like, you get the, you get the report. And in the beginning, when there's no automation, there's thousands of vulnerabilities, let's say, and, and they all have to be done by hand. And then you implement some new system and maybe it's just jam or whatever it is. And then that gets you from thousands to, you know, hundreds and then high hundreds. And then you implement the next piece. And now you're only dealing with, you know, low hundreds and then you tweak that. And now you're dealing with the exceptions of one or two. It's like that journey. I feel like it's back to the journey of A to Z. You have to go A to B to C. It's like, that's the part to me that I feel, I feel when I speak to people and it's frankly, it's not just in, 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 in it, right. I think we're all, we all want the immediate gratification and satisfaction of like, cool. I put this thing in, went to zero vulnerabilities and no exceptions that I have to handle ever. And it's like, that's not, you know, the edge cases, the exceptions, like they're going to be there. But the key is getting to your point, the confidence where you look at it and say, okay, like I know that maybe there's going to be one a week or one every other week or whatever the case may be. But you, you just deliberately from what I heard just there and what I've heard again from other people's this deliberate motion of just like, okay, big batch, low hanging fruit, get rid of, 80%. Okay. Now get rid of five, then get rid of three, then get rid of, and, and you may still have exceptions for 1%, 2%, 5%, but, but you've gotten rid of so much of that work. It, it's given you back that to your point, quality of life, I, I think, and, and focus so that you can go have the conversation with the director or the VP of something sales or this or that. So your team can think about that next deployment of what they're going to do. I, I just, you know, we're, we've been playing around with this, these terms internally, some, some ideas recently. It's like, the, the summary to me is like automate to innovate. If <laughs> I just had to put it in, you know, one or three words, right. It's, it's automate to innovate. I, I think that's exactly when you automate what you just said, you can now innovate around something else. Absolutely. And, and, and auto, I, I'm going to steal that by the way, the automate <laughs> to innovate, mm-hmm. automate people get quality time back, but it's also when you, when you first, let's say you're inheriting an IT department or an IT program and there's no program, there's nothing documented. There's no standardization. It's like, this is a huge mountain. It's a Kilimanjaro to climb. It's like, take a step back, figure out the altitude, but really break, take the big rocks, start to grind them up, break them into little rocks. And like sort of the byproduct is when you grind rocks, you're going to get some dust and those dust goes, poof, goes in the wind. It's no longer an issue, right? When you start to modularize it and break it down into easier digestible sizes, then it's like, okay, work is not, it's a lot of work, but instead of it being high, it's long. And instead of it being a mountain to climb, it's a hurdle to, to jump over or navigate through or navigate around. It's like you start doing that, you start getting a sense of normalcy. And that sort of becomes like your steady state. And once you have steady state, it's like, okay, I could take on a little bit more. Like you could increase your load. If you go to zero, 100, it's like you could push a button, sparks fly and the lights go out. It's like you need regiment. You, you need a sense of normalcy. And then that makes the the, the bobbing and weaving or the curveballs that IT might get t- might, might toss with a lot easier to manage because you're sort of built for resiliency in both obviously the technical infrastructure, but also the personality as well. It's like no request is that crazy, right? And instead of, and I like to say yes more than I like to say no. You catch me on a security day. Um, it's probably more no than yes, but it's more like, hey, we could we could do what you're asking. However, 
This is my expert recommendation on how we should do it. And here's why. Um, I think security, a lot of people get scared. It's like they're they're the authoritative body on do this, don't do that. It's like, I want to stay out of your way. I want to get you where you need to go or give you the tools that you need while doing so in a safe, secure, and compliant manner. So let's navigate this together. What ultimately, what's the true ask? I, when my team will ask me a question on something like something simple on the surface, it's like, take up a step back. What's, what are they really asking for? Like, how, how do you, how do we do a certain task? How do we do a certain process? Or how can we share content securely, effectively, repeatedly with an outside party? So it's like having those peeling back the layers of the onion, if you will. Where do you think workplace technology is going? If we fast forward, I never know what kind of timeline to put on this, but 10 years, 15 years, what does the world look like in your mind? What, what, you, what are your predictions? It's a it's a great question. I think it's gonna be a lot more immersive. And I think the the hybrid flexi work is here to stay. Um, because it's sort of the hybrid is the best of both worlds is it being even if you're in the office two or three days a week, you have the flexibility. And I say this from someone who has a family, like the fact that it's I'm growing up around my children. It's like, it's sort of a double-edged sword. I, I'm locked, I've locked my door right now so they don't interrupt, but I had a baby January, 2021. I've never been home with a newborn, but it was, it was nice. It was, some days were hectic, let me tell you, but it was so nice. It's that work-life balance. And I think the, the cat is out of the proverbial bag, especially with COVID that brought on this, this hybrid work. I don't think that's ever going to change. I think we've, we're going to hit a steady state of like days in, days out. But I think from like generationally, it's going to be way more immersive as far as the communication aspect of it. And one of the problems, one of the that I'm trying to solve right now is speaking with you know HR leadership and people operations and how do we communicate effectively when 50% of the team is co-located in an office and 50% are each in their individual homes. Like it's one thing when everybody's remote, it's like okay, let's all hop on a Zoom or a Teams or let me Put something in the in the Slack channel, but like when people are behind you and you just turn around and ask them a question, and then well, I got to retype that, or I have to fill my other team in. Like that's the challenge in my mind. Like how do we keep how do we keep things moving in lockstep while keeping everybody informed? Because this, there's a lot of in-person dynamic that we haven't yet captured and quantified in how to digitize, if you will. Um, I like I, I see you got a Jamboard in the background. I think that the on-demand real-time whiteboarding is only going to be I don't want to say exacerbated, but I don't want to say AR, VR. I know a lot of people, it's a big industry buzzword, but I think that the way we consume content is going to fundamentally change. It's insane. It's exciting and scary at the same time. I, I, the, the joke is you ask a teenager today, how do you answer the phone? And it's this, they, they only know how to hold an iPhone where my generation is that it's phone, right? But I, I think that's going to be the next shift as far as, you know, uh, children that are in elementary school now, my kids, like, how are they going? Like, their typing skills are going to be amazing, better than mine. But how are they going to consume both education, information, content? So I think it's we are on the bleeding edge right now. So it's scary, but exciting at the same time. Last question for you. You can go back to the beginning of your career in IT, first role, knowing everything you know today. What advice would you give yourself? try to rewind back to that point. And what, what is the one piece of advice you would tell yourself? 
I would say to myself that even if you don't, you should believe in yourself. I think having confidence is a huge game changer and that only, it only builds upon success and only builds like, yeah, you've done the homework, you've done the research, you know what you're talking about. Not like, no, I'm pretty sure. No, no you're sure. Like you've exhausted this. And that sort of confidence, it's a snowball effect for momentum because once you start to get on that path of like, I know where to look for my data. I know how to do my research. I know the questions I should be asking. It's just iterative from there. And it allows you to get to quicker decisions. It allows you to have quicker conversations or have a definitive answer in a meeting or even say, I don't know yet, but I will get you the answer. And having that level of confidence, that begets obviously self-confidence, but it gets, begets you to have that conversation, that trust with peers, people above you in an organization, people who are coming to you for questions. And that's priceless because you can't buy that. You, you, you can learn it over a long period of time, but if you're doing the right things now and knowing how to look up and how to turn data into intelligence and actionable insights and finding out what motivates people and start all to get them to, to row in the same direction on the boat, it's all stems from confidence. At the end of the day, be a human being. There's nothing more valuable than even if you are confident and you have so much subject matter expertise or your title is EVP, CIO, CISO, whatever. You're a human being. You and I are human beings having the same conversation. Break that down. Somebody's tier one or help desk. It's like, just be a human. Just be a good person about it. And like that, all of a sudden, it's, you start to have the relationships outside of work what are your interests? Like be a human being and, and I, the confidence in the human being that that's, if I leave here today and that's the only thing that people hear or that resonates, that's what I want to leave them with. I think it's incredibly valuable. Great messages. Great messages. Well, Ben, thank you so much for, for your time today. I really enjoyed this conversation and I, I think everyone else will uh, as well. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Ben for joining me for today's episode. And thanks again to you for checking out this episode. If you like what you've heard, you can subscribe to SaaS Ops Leaders with David Politis on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And if you want to learn more about SaaS Ops, please visit us at sasops.com. 